In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. Hello, everyone. It's Tia Mitchell, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Washington correspondent, and I'm filling in today for Greg Bluestein, who is traveling Georgia covering Vice President Mike Pence's visit. So you guys have me today as your host for the Politically Georgia podcast. And today I have a special guest. We have Niles Francis to talk all things Georgia politics. So Niles, I want you to start off by introducing yourself to the Politically Georgia listeners. Well, hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a big listener, and it's great to finally be on the podcast. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Niles Francis. I just turned 19 this month. I've been following you know, the election in Georgia quite closely, like the Georgia runoffs. Like I've been following those very closely as well. I've been looking at the uh, results in various counties, districts, to see how various areas of the state voted and how people voted like yesterday i looked at like how how georgians voted pretty much like biden supporters they overwhelmingly voted by mail or absentee trump supporters they most most of them chose to vote in person on election day so that's kind of the thing that i spend my time doing like you know i hate that um you know i you know i never expected to be covering an election in the middle of a pandemic but I don't think any I don't I don't think you did either to you. So <laughs> I didn't. And we're going to get into a lot of the analysis you've been doing with the election. But just in case folks missed that, Niles is 19 years old and <laughs> he is um, part of what we call election Twitter. So, <laughs> Niles, you're a freshman at Georgia State, right? Correct. Um, Tell our listeners, before we get into the nitty gritty, how did you get, how old were you and how did you get involved in kind of elections data and mapping and all the cool things you do? Well, I've been involved in politics. I've had an admiration, a love for politics since I was like five or six years old. At that age, I memorized every American president from George Washington to, at the time, Barack Obama. Um, And I'd say my interest in the more numbers side of things began like, you know, during the 2016 campaign, Um, you know, that, you know, 
election night, like, you know, I saw um, all of these reporters and analysts on TV looking at all these different counties, like saying, okay, like if you get votes out of here, that changed the results. If you get votes out of here, out of there, then like, you know, stuff like that. So I'd say like, you know, those conversations and those like, you know, you know, breaking down data from people like, I don't know, Steve Kornacki, I'd say people like that kind of, you know, inspired my interest in like, you know, data and numbers and things like that. And now you're like doing this stuff yourself. You're and you know all of these guys, you know, the Sabados Crystal Ball and um all these election data sites. You're like working with them, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I've re- I've contributed to um to Larry Sabados Crystal Ball. I've contributed to their um website several times and I'm pretty sure I'll be doing it again before the Georgia runoffs. So keep an eye out for that. So <laughs> Okay, so now we have established your bona fides. We have established that you are one of those people who knows not only elections in general, but Georgia elections specifically. So let's start there. First of all, what are your thoughts about Joe Biden winning Georgia? And what are some of the takeaways you've, you know, realized as you look at the data? Well, I'd say like, you know, Georgia has long, like, you know, Democrats have long sought after Georgia for many, many years, and they've always come up short. Democrats have long argued that, okay, the changing demographics, the changing, you know, the ex- the bleeding of suburban whites in, you know, metro Atlanta counties, um, they've long They've long thought that Georgia is like you know ripe for a flip, but they've always come up short. Um, this time around, like you know, we've saw we've seen like you know suburban like you know Trump bleed suburban white support, and then combine that with um, Stacey Abrams and her work with Fair Fight, registering new voters and bringing new voters to the polls and educating voters on mail-in balloting stuff like that. I, I say like you know it was a combination of several things that kind of. Um, you know, that propelled Joe Biden to victory in Georgia. Um, it's, it was, it's an interesting, you know, it's interesting that Biden was able to um, win the state as, you know, two years after Abrams, you know, ran that blockbuster gubernatorial campaign and came up short. You know, you know she lost by, you know, about 55,000 votes and Biden won the state by 12,000 votes, like around 12,000, 13,000 votes. So Georgia is increasingly becoming a competitive state. So I think it's going to be competitive for most of the decade. Do you think that the trend is kind of set in stone that Democrats will continue to win statewide? Or do you think it depends a lot on the candidate on the ballot? Well, I'd say Georgia is going, like I mentioned, Georgia is going to be a purple state for most of this decade. Um, Like, you know, it's not the solidly red state that it was 10, 15 years ago. Like, you know, we're going to talk about the runoffs in a moment, obviously. But like, you know, in in 2008, Georgia had a Senate runoff and Republicans won it easily. Like, you know, I can't see them winning this one easily this time around because like, you know, so much has changed in the last 10 years. Like, you know, you have a lot of new voters. You have a lot of, you know, Georgia's population is exploding. And like, you know, some voters are, you know, those suburban whites that I mentioned are, you know, leaving, leaving the Republican Party and, you know, starting to vote more Democratic. So Georgia, I'd say it's going to be an increasingly competitive state for the next 10 or so years. Like, you know, I can see it going, going the way of like, you know, a state like Wisconsin, where it's going to be increasingly close at the presidential level for many, many years to come. And what do you think, so if you were hired by 
campaigns on either side, you know, the or either political party, based on the data, what would you be telling each party they need to do if they want to win in Georgia going forward? Well, let's start with the Republicans. Like, you know, we've seen Trump and his allies so doubt about mail-in voting. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said this week, um, I'm sure you saw this, he said this week that, like, you know, okay, Trump's, like, you know, attempt to delegitimize mail-in voting has, like, you know, it kind of dampened his chances in the state. He was saying that somewhere around, like, 20,000 Republican primary voters in June requested a mail-in ballot and did not vote at all, you know, in November. So, like, you know, if we're talking about, say, these upcoming runoffs, I would advise either Senator Perdue or Senator Leffler to run a strong mail-in ballot campaign because that's what Democrats banked on and it worked. So that's what I would advise them to do is to um, encourage their supporters to vote early or by mail because that's what the Democrats prioritized in, you know, this month and it paid off for them at the presidential level. For the Democrats, I'd say um, continue to build on Stacey Abrams' model of registering new voters, bringing new voters to the polls, educating voters on mail-in voting. I'd, I'd say like continue to build on build on Stacey Abrams' model, which she has spearheaded for the last you know, for most of her political career is that you have to register new voters and bring new voters to the polls. And this time it paid off. So her playbook is actually, I'd say, um, you can say what you want about Stacey Abrams, but I'd say that her playbook is, has been pretty successful for the Georgia Democrats. I think like, you know, if they continue using that playbook, they'll continue to have statewide victories in the state. So you mentioned this Senate runoff and um, I think, you know, for disclosure, we know that you're, would you consider yourself a Democrat, a liberal? You're I'd, I'd say I'm a Democrat. <laughs> okay. I make, I make no secret about the fact that I'm a Democrat. I make no secret about that. Yes. I just want us to go ahead and put that out there so everybody can, you know, whatever grains of salt you need as you listen to Niles pontificate <laughs> on this upcoming election. So, you know, we've got the runoffs coming up on January 5th, and we know the balance of power in the Senate is at stake. And one thing that I keep getting asked is, do we think voters in Georgia will be able to absorb kind of the national framework of this runoff? And how important is it for voters in Georgia to understand the national kind of stakes that are at play for what, you know, normally would just be Georgia's picking its senators? <laughs> well, Tia, you come from Florida, so you know a thing or two about, um, you know, nationalized races, <laughs> I'd say. So, but here in Georgia, like, you know, we've had our we, we've had our taste of, you know, nationalized races before. Like in 2018, we had that blockbuster governor race with Stacey Abrams. That, that race set fundraising records. Like, you know, we saw unprecedented amounts of money. Um, spent on, like, you know, that governor, you know, Stacey Abrams was vying to become the first black female governor in the country. Um, I'd say that Georgia, we know what it's like to have, like, you know, we've gotten our first big taste of nationalized races with that governor race. Um, but I'd say that Georgia has had runoff elections before, right? We've had runoff elections before, but never, never with the stakes this high. Like, you know, never has control of the United States Senate hinged on not one but two georgia runoffs so i'd say that voters need to be very aware on both sides voters need to be very aware of the stakes 
in these runoffs. And I think that um, you're seeing with the Republicans, they're basically arguing that, okay, if Democrats win the Senate, they're going to um, get rid of the filibuster. They're going to pack the court. They're going to make DC a state. They're going to um, pass the Green New Deal. Basically, the, um, the you know, the Republican, the, you know, pretty much the main Republican talking points. Um, with the Democrats, they are basically arguing that if we can get these two seats, if we can get these two seats, then Vice President Harris will break the tie, that um, we can make sure that Vice President Biden has the um, congressional mandate that he needs to um, confirm his cabinet, confirm his Supreme Court picks, you know, pass his legislation. So I'd say that both sides are making a really, really big push to um, tell voters how important the stakes in these runoffs are. Like I mentioned, Georgia has had runoffs before, but never have the stakes been this high. Um, so like, you know, these pro are probably going to be the most expensive Senate races that Georgia has ever seen. So. And how intense do you think it's going to be? Like, you know, what does that mean? The most expensive race? What will voters see on the ground? Well, they can expect, I'm seeing them right now, a lot of TV ads from outside groups, from the candidates. Um, they can see a lot of, expect to see a lot of yard signs, like, you know, around the town, around, like, you know, on the highway and things like that. And they can also expect a lot of the heavy hitters from both sides to be campaigning in the state. Like, you know, today, um, Vice President Mike Pence is campaigning for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. Um, you know, of course, Greg is covering that today. Um, and for Democrats, you can see a lot, you, you can expect to see a lot of the Democratic heavy hitters, you know, crisscrossing the state as well. Like, you know, I expect to see Stacey Abrams on the ground for both Ossoff and Warnock in the coming weeks. Um, we don't know whether, um, we don't know, we don't yet know whether a uh, former president Barack Obama is going to be campaigning in the state, but he did, um, endorse both Ossoff and Warnock and he did campaign with both of them before the November election. So um, I'd expect to see him make a play in the state. Um, so it'll be interesting to see like, you know, how many of these like, you know, national figures campaign in the state in the coming um, weeks and months. Like, you know, Republicans so far, they've had Mike Pence, they've had uh, Tom Cotton, Rick Scott, Marco Rubio, like, you know, a lot of Republican senators campaigning in the state. Democrats, I have not heard much about, like, you know, which Democratic, you know, national figures will be campaigning in the state yet, unless I missed something. Um, but I'm sure we can expect to see people like Stacey Abrams and Barack Obama crisscrossing the state. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. What do you think about the fact that Republicans, you know, Purdue and Leffler are kind of running as a ticket now and Ossoff and Warnock, they they've been running more in tandem kind of all along. But it's now clearly you have like the Democratic ticket and the Republican ticket. Um, what do you think about that strategy? Well, it's kind of a high risk, high reward strategy in a way, like, you know, high risk, because 
any a, a mistake that one candidate makes or a gaffe that one candidate has on the campaign trail can impact both candidates. High reward because if, like you know, I can ex- I expect both races to ultimately break for the same party. So if one candidate wins, then the other candidate probably will as well. So I can I kind of see it as a high risk, high reward strategy. That's I mean, I agree with you there. It's like it's probably going to be all or nothing. Do you think turnout is going to what do you you know, have, do you have any predictions about turnout? Of course, we don't expect the same turnout for the general election, but usually runoffs have relatively tiny turnouts, except for when there's a big one like that big Ossoff handle runoff in the congressional race. You know, it was nationalized and they had pretty good turnout. Um, where, where do you think this one's going to go? Well, like I mentioned, we've had runoffs before, but never with the stakes this high. Um, 2008, I'll go back. I used 2008 as an example earlier. That year, we had um, Republican Senator Saxby Chambliss. He was forced into a runoff because he did not get more than 50% of the vote. Like, you know, turnout dropped dramatically, and he ended up winning with like 57, 58% of the vote. I don't see that happening this time around. Like in t- just in 2018, we had two statewide runoffs in 2018, like a st- for a um, for the Secretary of State's race and a seat on the Georgia Public Service Commission. Um, turnout dropped, but the races were pretty close in the end. I'd say that we can expect at least at least I'd say I'd say at least 3.5 million votes cast in this runoff. For um, who turns out to vote is the big question. Right. That is the big question. So how tell us about your process. You know, you said you might be doing some, you know, writing for some of those websites. But how do you kind of keep up with things? How do you decide what data you want to look into and when? Um, well, I figured that, like you know, I mentioned earlier, that I used that, that I you know broke down mail-in voting and in-person voting um, yesterday. You know, I look at you know whatever's re- relevant at the time, at a given time, because you know mail-in voting has been in the news a lot this year because you know a lot of Americans chose to vote by mail as a result of this pandemic. Um, so I thought that that was pretty relevant to look at, and I um, broke down. I you know found out that most Biden supporters they overwhelmingly voted by mail, and most Trump supporters, they overwhelmingly showed up on election day to vote. I thought that that was pretty um, relevant to look at because like, you know, it's been in the news a lot lately. Um, In terms of what I like to look at, um, you know, Georgia, we're, um, we have no shortage of interesting political, you know, elections and like, you know, political trends in Georgia. So, you know, we have, we have a lot of them to look at. It all depends on like, you know, how, you know, what I'm thinking about on a given day. Um, I live in Cobb County, so I may be looking at something in Cobb County soon. You know, Georgia has had two competitive house races in both Georgia 6 and Georgia 7. So I may be looking at those in the near future. I looked at Georgia 7 already, but I may be looking at Georgia 6 in the near future. Um, So it really all depends on, like, you know, what I'm thinking about on a given day, what kind of conversations I'm having with friends or, like, you know, what I'm writing about. It it all depends on various factors. But, um, you know, we're going to be spending a lot of time on Georgia in the next few weeks. So um, I expect to be, you know, breaking down a lot of Georgia races over the coming weeks. Well, before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about national trends. First of all, do you think President Trump will concede and do you think there will be a peaceful transition of power? 
Um, you know, President Trump, like, you know, the thing that we all know about him is that he's unpredictable. <laughs> so we, um, I'm not sure whether or not he is going to um, concede and, you know, usher in a peaceful transition of power. I do know that a uh, former vice president, now president-elect Joe Biden, will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States at noon on January 20th, 2021. I know that for a fact. Um, whether or not there's a peaceful transfer of power really won't matter because once he is certified as the winner by the Electoral College, he will become the next president of the United States. And why do you feel so confident? I mean, we have, you know, all these polls come out saying that there are a lot of conservative voters who don't believe Joe Biden is a legitimate winner. Um, why do you feel so confident that the Electoral College and all these processes will play out as intended because um a lot of these states have a lot of legal um you know loopholes and a lot of legal um there are a lot of laws basically preventing like you know, we're seeing president trump today meeting with michigan lawmakers um you know lawmakers in the michigan state legislature he's basically going to ask them to like you know sort of nullify the popular vote in michigan and award him michigan's electors um both the michigan's republican leaders and the Michigan legislature have said that they are not going to do that under any circumstance. Um, I don't think it'll, I don't think they'll end up doing that, you know, primarily because it will lead to lots of lawsuits and, you know, a lot of, it won't, it, it won't lead to a peaceful transfer of power. I'll say that <laughs> it won't lead to a peaceful transfer of power. And, um, you know, Trump supporters are going to get angry. Um, Biden supporters are going to get angry. It'll lead to a lot of vitriol and a lot of, um, it, it leads to a lot of protests in the streets and, um, you know, I hate to say this, violence in the streets. So I don't think it'll come to that only because of the consequences. And so you just think um, that states have enough kind of safeguards in place for things to go as kind of as planned without too many surprises. Yeah, well, Secretary Raffensperger here in Georgia basically said today that, um, you know, he's a lifelong conservative. He's a Trump supporter. He is disappointed that President Trump um, did not win the state. But in the end, um, he is the Secretary of State. It is his job to certify the winners of elections and count all of the votes. He has said that he plans on certifying certifying um, uh, President-elect Joe Biden as the winner of Georgia's 16 Electoral College votes. So um, you have people like him who are running these elections who basically say, okay, no matter my political affiliation, it is my job to count all of the votes. And the votes show that Vice President, uh, former Vice President, now President-elect Joe Biden has won Georgia's Electoral College votes, and we plan on certifying him as the winner. So I really don't see any... Um, I really don't see any politics getting in the way of certifying the winner of this election, um, even though um, an, an election itself is pretty political. Um, I, I do not see um, these results being overturned, so to speak. Um, I, I do believe that Vice President, former Vice President, now President-elect Joe Biden, will be sworn in as the next President of the United States. Got it. Well, we are winding up our time, but I want to circle back around to you as we finish. So, Niles, you're in your first year of college. You've got your whole life ahead of you. But what part of the political process um, kind of appeals to you the most? What do you think is in your future when it comes to the part you want to play in politics? 
Well, um, I do like what I'm doing now. I love what I'm doing now. I will say that I did not expect um, a year. If you had told me a year ago that I'd have over 20,000 Twitter followers and I'd be on Craig Melvin's show on MSNBC and I'd be getting all of these articles written about me and I'd be you know, sitting here talking with you on the AJC podcast. I would have told you that you were crazy. <laughs> I did not expect like you know to get this much recognition and attention for the work that I do. It's basically something that I see as a hobby. It's not something that I like to do for attention or for um, clout. It's something that I enjoy doing because I get to learn about various places, various states, various counties, and I get to teach others about these various states and counties and trends. Um, so it's basically um, it's a learning experience for me and a learning experience for the people who follow the things that I do and the work that I do. So I enjoy doing it because, like, you know, I get to learn a lot from it and others get to learn a lot from it as well. Um, whether or not I want to keep doing this, um, I, I do not know yet. Um, I do not know yet. Um, these runoffs, um, I should have a better idea maybe after these runoffs when, like, you know, depending depending on both the results of the runoffs and how bitter they are and, um, like, you know, the toll that they take on Georgia's, you know, politics, because they're going to take a very heavy toll on Georgia's politics and they're going to cost a lot of money and, um, you know, they're going to get a lot of national attention. So depending on the impact that these runoffs have on the state, <laughs> I should have a pretty good idea of what I want to do going forward. Well, you know, like I said, I'm a big fan. I don't, I look out and check in on you and I, um, everybody knows, don't you mess with Nas. <laughs> so, um, I'm glad that when I got to guest host this podcast, you were my guest and I hope we can have you on again and as I always tell you, that's right. Enjoy your college, but get your work done. I have been. Don't worry and, about that. <laughs> um, what's what's your Twitter handle, Niles, for those who might want to follow you? It's at Niles, G-A-P-O-L. So I have over 20,000 followers, and I feel like that's going to grow as these runoffs get closer. So <laughs> That's right, because people want to know what's going on. And they know yeah. that you give, even though you're a Democrat, and we know that, but you give really good context and information about Georgia politics. So thank you again for coming on the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm Tia Mitchell, Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, filling in for Greg Bluestein, who will be back with you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Please um, subscribe, follow, give us your feedback, and we'll see you soon. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. 
It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,